I want to get into our Bible study that we're going to be doing here and talking about some very practical areas of Christian living. And part of that is dealing with death and sorrows and sufferings. And so what I want to do is I want to dismiss the kids, all the elementary age teens. They're going to take off, head for their classes at the other part of the building. <clears throat> and I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I say this with, uh, without rebuke to anybody, but I say this in all seriousness. I wish every one of our every one of our members will be here and sit in here and take advantage of what we're talking about with this material. Because you're all going to be dealing with it. And when you deal with it, a crisis, it's better to be prepared for the crises <coughs> than all of a sudden acting in panic <coughs> when the crisis arises. And so what we're doing is <coughs> we're talking, excuse me, we're talking about those different crises and those events and so uh, we're uh, dealing with some of the topics. And if you don't mind, let's close the doors. Um, I'm being distracted anyway. Um, right back there from the conversations in the foyer. Um, here we do. We talked about this. How do we handle major illnesses? This is what we talked about the last few weeks. Uh, developing biblical thoughts beforehand. I don't want to keep on rehearsing this, but this is very, very important material. The material is about remembering thinking properly. God's in control. God cares. God knows. Remembering what the Bible teaches about suffering, that it's not always punishment. We're going to come back to this in a few moments. There's another thought here, that uh, when God deals with suffering, we talked about from John 11, that idea that it's a positive, that it helps, it creates growth. And we gave you all these different ideas. And again, if you want these materials, these notes, I'll run them off for you. But we talked about it, they were in our previous notes. When we got to an area that we'll talk about again later this morning, keeping biblical thinking, medicines are okay. There are some Christian circles where individuals say that medicines are wrong, it's lack of faith. We would say the Bible doesn't teach that. That's pulling Scripture out of context. And then we said there's some real truths about life and death and the matters of life and death, and that is dealing with all these things that we talked about. And again, I'm going to be rehearsing some of this as we get through other areas. But we talked about how God is in control from the book of Job. He knows our days. He numbers them. And then we made this comment that death will come to all of us, but it's not the end. And we as believers, we know that it's a doorway. It's an entryway to get us into glory where it's going to be wonderful. And we ended up with this thought two weeks ago where we said that when it comes to believers facing suffering and death and tragedy, that even if you're saved, there's still sorrow. There are still going to be some, some uh, issues and struggles. And uh, this thought we ended up with, it's okay to have emotions. For some reason, there are some elements of people that think that Christians, we just sang the song, Christian always smiles. Well, we should have a spirit of joy, but at times we're not smiling because we're dealing with this type of stuff. And sometimes there's sorrow. And it's okay. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be sad with a loss of a loved one. How do we know that? Jesus wept. Okay, so it's just very simple. Let me deal with another thought about being prepared. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he is dealing with the issues of struggles and battles and trials and tribulations. And he makes this comment. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but with the temptation will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. 
there are several important thoughts that uh, we need to point out through this text. Number one thought is this. When you have some suffering, some trial, or you share this with somebody, they are not unique. Other people have gone through trials. Yay, nay? Okay. But when we're in the midst of the trial, what do we typically think about? That we're the only one. Nobody understands. Nobody, under, nobody feels. Nobody knows what it's like to lose a spouse. Nobody understands that loneliness. It is difficult. I don't mean to, to minimize somebody's hurt and loneliness, but have other people gone through it? The reality is yes. And so those other people, you know, they, they can appreciate. They understand what you're going through. The other thought that goes through is God is always faithful. God is always faithful. When we're in the middle of trials, some of the, uh, some of the depression that comes, some of the discouragement that comes, some of the spiritual battle is, does God care? And the answer is, God is always faithful. God's always faithful. Okay, here's another truth that's with us, that we need to, we need to have this really grounded in our spirit and in our mind. <coughs> God will not send a temptation or trial that you cannot handle. Even if it's a serious illness, even if it's cancer and it's terminal, even if it's a death of a loved one, a family member, prematurely as far as they didn't, they didn't grow, a death of a child, God does not send any trial that you cannot handle. Okay, what does that tell you about God and you? God knows you better than you do. Okay, God knows you better than you do. He knows, he knows exactly what you're able to handle. And then it's this thought, God will provide a way of escape. Do not think escape means getting out of the trial. The word literally had the idea, a way of escape, and it was, a, it was a maritime word. And it had the idea of, okay, what needs to be thrown off the ship? What excess cargo do we need to get rid of to lighten the load so we can manage this and survive the storm? So when you think about a way of escape, <coughs> our English concept is to get out of the problem. No, the verse isn't saying get out of the problem. What is the verse saying? That you get through the problem. Okay, so understand the concept of this verse. It isn't that God will give you a way that you can get out of the problem. It's gonna t- he's going to take you through it. And as he's taking you through it, the way of escape is what you need to prioritize, what you need to do to make some changes, uh, what, what um, si- things that are sidetracking you that you need to get rid of. So this is a very, very important verse for dealing with trials, dealing with death. And so it's one of those uh, concepts we've got to get in our mind ahead of time. Let, let's go into the second area. And I'm trying to be extremely practical this morning. I'm going to ask you to go to Matthew 6. Matthew 6. As we continue with this, you need to turn to the Lord when a crisis strikes. <clears throat> you all know that. You understand that. That, um, that, that it's easy. And, and let me put it this way. It is easy to say this. It is difficult to do this. And so some people are talking about how they're trusting the Lord, but I wonder if they really are by the rest of their conversation. Here it is. Okay, turn to the Lord when a crisis strikes. Do you remember the James chapter 1 passage? Uh, it talks about that we're supposed to count it all. 
when we fall into, okay, different types of trials and temptations. Why do they come that you may be perfect and mature? And then at the end of the passage, he says, and this is the car in verse 5, he says in the context of trials, if you lack wisdom, wisdom for what? What's that? Well, yeah, wisdom of handling a trial. That's what he's talking about. Let him ask of God, he says, and because God gives to all men liberally, that is, God wants to, over, God wants to grandparent you and spoil you. Okay? He says, and if you ask <coughs> this God wants to give liberally, it'll be given to you. Okay, so you need to turn to the Lord in crises. Okay, so you go to prayer. And I can't minimize that. We can't max it. it. It's not trite. It is true. Let's do number three. Enlist and accept the assistance of others. If you're facing a, a medical, a family, a death crisis, enlist and accept assistance from others. <clears throat> like Mary and Martha did, they contacted Jesus and asking him for assistance. Let's be extremely practical for a second. You chide in on this. Let people help you like doing what? If you're in the middle of a ter- terrible crisis and somebody says, what can I do for you? And you say nothing. Then don't get upset when nobody's helping you. But part of the problem is we think we can handle everything and we want to be the Lone Ranger. The idea of a church is to help each other, to provide assistance. And so this idea of let people help you, there's simple areas. Anybody want to give me an idea why I put down, let people handle phone calls? What's that? Yeah, do you, do you, okay, you have, a, you have a medical crisis. Your family member went to the emergency room. People are calling, and what do they want to know from you? <coughs> they want to know, and you, and how many times do you need to rehearse the crises? And what does it do to you? Every time you rehearse it, you relive the emotions. Okay? <coughs> and sometimes you don't have information. But in the world we live in, how quickly do people want to have information? Okay, but you don't know. You don't know. So even in a simple thing, let somebody else do your phone calling. Let somebody else just buffer it. That can be helpful to you. Let somebody else take the, the cleaning of the house to give you a hand when you're doing it. Um, ask for rides to help. Ask for people to pick up groceries and let them do it. <coughs> I say this with a practical sense, have other, somebody else go with you to the doctors. Why? What is the benefit of having somebody go with you? Again, COVID makes it difficult. But why is it helpful to have somebody go in, your spouse <coughs> is laying in the emergency room on a ventilator. Why is it helpful to have a child, a relative, a friend go with you and to talk to the doctors? Okay, I think I caught what you were saying. Okay, you're getting so much information, and yet how much are you hearing? Okay, yeah, you're hearing. Why? The emotions are running rampant. And if you hear something, and if you hear a little comment like, maybe in three days, okay, we will, we will do the, or they say these things. In three to seven days, we will probably see a, you know, a significant change. You heard what? You heard three. What is the doctor saying? 
you know, there's, there's an ex- and so somebody hearing that is, they hear more of what's being said. They should write the things down. If you're the one going with, please do this. Please assist this way. Listen, <coughs> write things down, and don't be afraid to ask questions. If you're dealing with good medical people who aren't arrogant and think they're gods, okay, then, um, then what you do, don't be afraid. Just because there's a white coat doesn't mean you can't ask questions. Ask the questions. Now, in some countries, there's this idea. Uh, and I think I shared this with you. When the Newtons went in, and Barb, was in, the night she was initially diagnosed with cancer, um, Alan wasn't allowed to go into that section of the hospital. That was the policy of, in Portugal. <coughs> and so Barb came walking out saying, they told me I got cancer. I'm going to die within a few weeks. And so he insisted, I'm going back and ask the doctor. Because when she heard that news, what, did, what would you think most of us would do? Oh, she went into shock, basically. She wasn't hearing a whole lot of anything else. And so he went back there. But in Portugal, you call, you, you say, you call the doctor your excellency. Okay, does that give you an idea of where, the, where this is? Okay. And so when he went back, the doctor was highly offended that he came to his office and would ask a question. Who are you to question me? My wife's, you said my wife's going to die. I want information. Okay, um, and in some realms, people are intimidated by white coats. So please ask questions. Don't get frustrated with family and friends. When their assistance, and it can go both ways, can it not? Okay, okay, let's do this one first. When their assistance is overwhelming, okay, the family and friends come, and they're there, and they're helping, they're helping, they're helping, but you need some time to breathe, and you need some alone time. It doesn't hurt to say, Jim, go home. Okay. I've had enough of you. Okay. Okay. Um, be, and explain, and explain, and, and don't get mad at them. They mean well, but then what's the other sw- swing of this? You get nothing out of people. You know, they're limited. And part of the reason, let's be frank about this. Part of the reason that some of us have family and friends who are in crisis mode and we're not there every day to check up on them is we got distance for some of us. Lives. Some of you can't be there every day because you're raising your own kids. Do your kids demand attention? Do you still have to work? Okay, and so, you know, there's, it, it goes both ways. And we can get frustrated with people very quickly because, you know, again, um, I, I, I'm getting older and maybe I'm getting just as quirky. But it, uh, my brothers and sister that said my parents, one of their quirks was when they were retired and Minnesota gets snowstorms once in a while. Okay. When they would get the snowstorms, my dad would call my brother and say, hey, it's snowing out. I know. We live a mile apart. When are you going to come and do my driveway? Well, I will get out once I'm able to do my driveway. Well, I want my driveway cleared in case I want to go somewhere. You shouldn't be going anywhere. It's a snowstorm. But in my parents' mind, it had to be shoveled now. 
Okay? And it was like, you know, actually we didn't shovel it sometimes. Because if it wasn't shoveled, <laughs> none of you would do that. Yeah. Number, um, I, I'm, I'm going to go over the head of some of you. And I don't mean to. But I want you to stop and, and try on the sandals when I make these comments. Rise above fear and self-pity. Train your spirit to rise above fear and self-pity. In the crises, work at this. Not on Sunday morning. Work at this in the crises. Work at pausing and don't panic. Work at praying and not pouting. Work at praising, not becoming pessimistic. And you say, well, I, I'm trusting the Lord. Are you? Are you trusting in the Lord if you say, okay, Deb is sick. What am I going to do? How are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? How are we do? Those are real questions down the road. How am I going to deal with it? But if I get so overwhelmed and I just, where's my trust? Does God know what's happening? The answer is yes, he does. What can I do about tomorrow? Not a whole lot, quite frankly. I can make plans, but look at Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, what does he warn us about tomorrow? He makes this comment as he's going through, and he says, verse 25, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, or now yet your body is not life more than meat. He's not saying you shouldn't plan. But what's he saying? Not to worry to the point of anxiety. There's a huge difference. Okay? Because he makes the comment, your fa heavenly father feeds the birds. What about... You know, you, you're, you're concerned about your, your health, your physical structure. God takes care of the flowers. And then he talks about how God clothes the grass in the field. He takes care of those. Take no thought or worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. But you... Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things shall be added. Take therefore no worry, anxiety for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take thought of the things of itself. And quite frankly, sufficient unto this day is the, when he says the evil thereof, what's he mean? We got enough problems today. Okay, just getting through today is, some, for some of us, it's enough. Okay, but again, should we not plan? No, there's flip side of it, we got to plan. And take care of our family. What I'm talking about is this type of thought. Work at listening to God and others, not just repeating, rehearsing your pain and crises. Your mind is like a computer. And if you keep on saving the same thing on another, on an, on another, 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 not over saving, you know, saving over, but expanding your memory bank by saying it and rehearsing it again, eventually what are you thinking about? Only the crises. Your mind becomes focused on it. So instead of saying, oh, this is so awful, this is so awful, and it is awful, it is a problem, calm down. Stop rehearsing. Stop, here, get the necessary information. It takes time to get the information. Don't panic, you still don't have information. Yes, are you concerned? I understand that. But you need to get information. To be really stressed out, I don't know what we're going to do, I don't... 
uh, we had a situation not long ago. Somebody was saying, we don't know what to do. The insurance company said they're not going to help provide such and such. And we need this certain medications because dealing with this, this serious disease. But the insurance company just called and they said that they, they rejected it. Can you imagine insurance companies rejecting medicines and treatments? By the way, prepare, get prepared. It's going to happen more and more. Okay. And so they said, uh, so we don't know what we're going to do. What are we going to do? And it's like, well, have you, has, the, has there been some suggestion by the doctor about other options? Yeah, but they don't know. They have to research them. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? You're going to research them. You've got to research them. You know, within 24 hours, it wasn't even 24 hours. Within 24 hours, guess what? The other options came through and it wasn't, it was, everything was resolved. A lot of things happen that way. Not everything, I understand. But a lot of things, it takes a little bit of time. I, I, I work at listening. Listening to all that is being said. When you're dealing with medical things, don't just, don't just do this. We want to do some tests. We want to know if it's cancer or if it's just something that's benign. What have we heard? Okay, and, and by the way, we're going to be concerned about that. We're going to be concerned. That's legitimate. But don't get on the phone and start saying, guess what, I think I got, I think I got cancer. And if it is, it's terminal. I'm going to die within a week. Um, we get those phone calls. It's like, well, what did the doctor say? Well, they have to do some tests. They don't know. What's, don't call people. I can't say this to them as harshly as I can right now to you. Don't keep calling people and saying you're dying of cancer. That may not be true. Do you remember the little boy who cried wolf? Because if you say, pray for me, pray for me, I'm going to, yo, I think I'm going to die next week. Well, if people hear that after a while. What does that do to your credibility? <laughs> yeah, right? Okay, so listen closely. Use the gifts. Oh, and by the way, listening to the tidbits, please understand when the doctor says this, you're going in, you're going to have surgery. If everything goes well and really good, maybe you'll be out of the hospital in three or four days, but maybe we'll have to do some rehab. What have you heard? Three or four days, and then you get depressed and discouraged when you have to have a little bit longer. Okay, hear the full story. Or at least have somebody. Use the gifts of medicines available to you. Live the one day at a time. Let's do a number five. Don't reject the realities of life and faith. We already talked about these. Do not say God has to heal. God doesn't have to do anything. God is God. Okay, I have served him, therefore, you know, he'll do whatever I ask. Or this idea, this is more than I can handle. Or they will come through because I prayed for it. It's going to turn out okay. Well, you're okay and God's okay may be two different things. Okay, so those are the realities. And so don't, don't reject them. Um, may I suggest this for, for <clears throat> many of you? Throughout, keep a record of your journey. If you're going through a crisis, record it. Write it down. Why? I know it's a difficult thing to do, but why is it difficult? What is the benefit of writing down 
Just real quickly, some thoughts during a day. Why is it helping others? Yeah. Yeah, excellent. Helping others because you're reflecting. What else? Helps you what? How so? Okay. Okay. Uh, very good. Andrea, you want to step out? See? Thank you. <clears throat> yeah, let me, let me write down some of the things. Helps you to remember God's faithfulness. It's a testimony to others. Helps you to keep your thoughts organized and focused. Okay? It may help your family members know where your mindset was if something happens. Okay? It may provide medical help. <clears throat> we had this situation just in the last few weeks. Is all of a sudden in our family, somebody said, hey, there was a, and, and I understand, fully understand. My dad and his family, they, they did not, they, <laughs> they would not say, I love you. My dad's phone calls go this way when, when we were talking. Okay, hope you have a great day. Uh-huh. And it's like, love you. Yeah, call again. <laughs> you got relatives that do this? So my sister-in-law told me, she says, the last week she was, they talked to dad. She says, we tried. We made it a game. Try to see if he would say I love you. Yeah, call again. You too, guys. Have a great day. So I told her, the last conversation I had with my dad, I got him to say, I love you. And she says, really? I said, that's because I was the favorite. (laughs) And she said, now I know you're lying. (laughs) The other thing, he never did. Uh, The other thing that my uh, my dad was, was like this, very private about his health situations. Okay, you don't know anybody like that. Okay, very private. Now, one of the things we had asked is, you know, it's important to get an idea of medical history. Why is that so important? In our day and age, why is this becoming so important? Yeah, yeah. When my daughter had the tumor that showed up on her jaw a couple of years ago, three years ago or so, and you were praying, and we were praying it wasn't cancerous, and it wasn't, but she still had that serious surgery on her jaw, she had to fill out eight pages of documents of family history, okay? And so I'm asking this question of my siblings. I'm saying, is there an awareness here of did dad have any type of cancer? And they said, well, that's, that, that's dad's business. I know that's dad's business, but frankly, it's becoming ours too, okay? And so there was a way for us to be able to find things out because whoever was the executor, the executor can go to the hospital and get medical records, Despite, you know, HIPAA laws, there is that possibility you can still get medical information. So that's important to know. And you, by the way, if you're writing down things, you can monitor your own progression of growth. And that's good for you because that helps you to go through. Um, let, me, let me get even a little bit more practical. God often has a plan for us. We've said this. God has a plan for good and for our trials. But here's a reality. We can either help or hinder God in those plans. How do we do that? Think of how you help or hinder God's plans. What's that? Okay. Oh, 
Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah well, they, they tried to do it their way, you know, with the surrogate mother, and they kind of messed that whole thing up and brought in international problems for generations. Um, I, I think that our example, our response to the actions in the midst of a crisis, you can either prompt God's growth or you can limit God's, God's working. Okay, let me give you an example this way. How you treat others. In the middle of a crisis situation that is going on, how you respond to family members or how you don't respond to family members is critical in, in, working, in God working in lives. Um, Jesus, when he's on the cross, is he suffering and in pain? And yet, what does he do while he's hanging on the cross? Does he minister to others? Who? His mother? Thief on the cross? The soldiers? Oh, in fact, the way he responds to the crises, does it draw the thief to salvation? Yeah, it was his response. And so you have all these situations that are taking place and uh, so this, the impact of the situation is very, very important. What we do or fail to do has a huge impact. Okay, reaching out to others. Um, you and I need to really consider how we minister to people who are going through the death and the grieving process. Um, for instance, if we are born again and we walk up to somebody who's unsaved but they have, an, uh, they have a, a saved person who has passed away, if we are real, we just say, hey, you shouldn't be grieving because they're with God. That is a truth. Yes? Okay, that's a truth. But to minimize their anxiety, their pain, how are you going to share the gospel with them later on? So you want to be cautious with this. And let's take it a step further. When we do funerals, now I'm going to go where none of you want to be, Okay? But this is so important. How you do a funeral service is really critical for a gospel presentation. And it's a, a folk, what better time to share the gospel than at a funeral? I mean, seriously. What is everybody thinking about? The, the death, life and death. And everybody's co- comments, the majority of comments at funerals are this. This is the only time we seem to get together. You know, we got to stop getting together this way. But we keep on doing it because people keep on. Okay, so what we do at a funeral is very, very important. And uh, here's the problems with funerals, okay? The difficulties, I should say. The difficulties are nerves are people's raw. Everything's raw. Emotions are running high. And so oftentimes at funerals, people say we want to focus solely on the deceased person. And usually you get into these eulogies about deceased people. We had family members, church family members years ago. And uh, they were at their father's funeral. And I remember we were sitting about like there. They were at the father, we were there and there was a preacher. I remember the preacher. They used to call him the singing preacher here in Lebanon. And he was preaching the service and he was famous for eulogizing. And he would talk about how good the person was. Well, these five brothers they had all been shipped out as little kids to other people. And dad got the money for their work. And they didn't have good, good relationships with their father in years that went by. And so he's eulogizing how this man is such a wonderful man and such a great man, da-da-da-da-da. One of the brothers finally spoke up louder than the preacher. He says, I don't know who he's talking about, but he ain't talking about our dad. 
<laughs> I remember thinking, whoa, uh, you know, what's a preacher going to do now? So when you get to funeral services, you know, seriously, you as a born-again Christian, this is really a great time to make sure you've planned for the gospel to be preached. Really plan for the gospel to be preached. Make it very clear. If you have unsaved kids, unsaved family members, then you plan the service rather than them so that the gospel gets preached. You make the plans for it. Because there are some people who, who, you know, some families, they would not invite us to preach the gospel at a funeral, you know, at all. And so give some thought how you're going to pre-plan and uh, what you're going to do in the service. Plan for a good gospel presentation. Remember that this, a funeral service is not about the dead person. This sounds terrible, I know. I mean, we're, we're remembering the person. We're giving respect and honor to the person. But really, the funeral service is planned for who? The people here. You plan for the, for the relatives. How do we minister to help them? And so share the gospel. I would suggest this if you're planning a funeral service. This may sound really goofy, but <clears throat> if you've got a lot of unsaved people there, I'd consider, you say, let's do a lot of music. Well, why don't you consider the fact that if you have a majority of unsaved people there, they don't know the music. And so if you're going to sing songs and you do a sacred concert at a funeral service and there's few believers, guess who does the singing? A handful of believers. And if you're an unbeliever and you're sitting there and you don't know the songs, do you feel like you're participating? You know, you're, you're not used to this. So consider even what you do with the music in the service. You have to consider, by the way, the length of the service, especially if you want to be buried at the gap. Why is that? The gap gives you a time, and you've got to be there by a certain time. And so if you're doing a funeral service, and you're putting in all these added things after the times, usually the times are set up before the service is fully planned. We get a phone call from the funeral director and says, okay, we'll do 11 o'clock, and the burial will be at 1 o'clock, you know, or 12.30, let's say. And so how long is your typical service? <coughs> And I say it's usually about 35 minutes, depending upon what the family wants to do, if they just want one hymn or so. But then we get to the service, and the family says, we want to sing six hymns. We want to open it up for all kinds of comments. And this has happened before, where all of a sudden, at the very end, we have to leave, and there's no gospel presentation. Okay, because all these peripheral things, which are nice, but if you wanted the gospel presented, make sure you give time for the gospel. Um, give your own witness. You know what's a, a great thing you could do? You could write out your testimony and have it read at your funeral service. You could, you could, you know what's even better in this day and age? Why don't you record your testimony? Why don't you record saying, hey gang, see you later. Yeah. Oh, okay, you want to be a little bit more tactful. Okay. Why, why don't you record your testimony? Put it down and make it clear. I mean, don't do this. Brother Joe... I'm really praying for you that you get saved. Okay. Don't call them out by name. But, uh, but at the same time, give your own witness to it and plan it properly. And again, tributes are always interesting. Have you ever been at a funeral and you hear about this person and you go, really? Is that so? Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I hope I don't get myself in too much trouble on this one. So we're at the service and there's tributes being made and as the tributes are being made and 
Ah, such a wonderful, you know, as a couple, the, the, it was one of the spouses that died. They, and the other one was surviving. They were such an example. Such an example. They were such an example. And people want to get, they were such a good example of what a, what a real loving couple was. I really had a tough time with that. Because the week before, the one who was dying said, <laughs> that's terrible. The week before, the one said to me, Pastor, help me. I don't want to go home to that other person anymore. <laughs> We, we fight. We have such a terrible relationship that nobody knows about. Please do get me out of here so I don't have to go home. I, what do you want me to do? Come and hide you in my trunk? Yeah. <laughs> and then your spouse sends the police and, yeah. And so when I shared it with the, with the survivor, just saying, you know, before, he, before the one had died, and I talked with the other one and just said, you know, maybe you want to just leave your spouse in the rest home for a little bit longer. I would be perfectly fine with that. It's where that person should be. I don't want them at home. And so both of them were of the same mind. And I get to the service and everybody's like, oh, they were such an example. I'm going, really? Really? I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. But it was just weird. It was weird, some of the things that come up. Okay, what are you going to do to minister to people? You're going to minister to people. Can I suggest that if you're going to minister to people who are going through death and crises, that you take the example of Jesus? Is that a fair thing to say? That the example of Jesus is a good thing always? Okay, okay, so if you were to say from Jesus and the thief on the cross, what would you say Jesus did to the thief on the cross that's worth our, that we could repeat? What's that? He cared. What else? What's that? Okay, how do we give a promise? Okay, okay. Anything else that we can do? Okay, you can express forgiveness. Okay. Um, Jesus and his mother. He's on the cross. What did he do in ministering to his mom? Okay, he set up a support system for her. Uh, There's several things. Let's think this through. Okay, what should we say? What do we don't say? Um, Do not say these types of things. Please, think this through. You don't know what to say when you get to the funeral. It's awkward. Maybe we should practice before we get there. Okay. And so you don't know exactly what to say, but please, please think through what you're going to say to a mother who has lost a child. Your child is in such a better place. Jesus is going to really take care of them now. Is that true? Okay, is that true theologically? What have you possibly implied to that mother? She couldn't take care of it. She couldn't provide for that child. Okay, so we have two daughters. One dies. Somebody comes up, well, thank God you still have other children. Um, One of you had that happen. By your own mother saying it to you. What would you like to do? To that person who said that to you? Right? 
Can people say stupid stuff? Hmm. Let's rephrase that. Do we say stupid stuff? Yeah, we do. So we want to be careful on ministering. We want to be careful what we say. Theologically, we know it's true that, uh, theologically, are we better off dead than alive? We all are. Okay, we know that. Uh, that doesn't therefore mean, let's jump, okay, therefore, if we're better off dead, we should all, okay, <laughs> let's do, a, let's get the Kool-Aid out, you know, that's, <laughs> we know that that's not, that, that would be silly, we understand that. Okay, so here's, let's just t- take Jesus, okay, Jesus is hurting, let me set the scene, Jesus is hurting, yes? He's on the cross, he's hurting, you agree with that? He's in pain. He's in emotional trauma. Yes? Spiritual trauma? Okay. What does he do? Okay. And, um, let, let's back up to, yeah, let's do the personally ministering to others facing death. While he's on the cross, he's ministering to the thief. By the way, he's ministering even when he's not on the cross. When his life is threatened, John 11, he goes there. And he ministers to uh, Mary and Martha. So he personally engages. It is fine for you to come to church and to hear about people that, that are going through trials and to pray for them. But how about thinking through how can you personally minister? He showed up. Jesus showed up for Lazarus' family. COVID has changed some of the, the way that funerals were done. But is it important at times to show up for brothers and sisters in the Lord and to say, I'm praying for you? Okay? It is, it is critical when people are going through terminal diseases to know that you care, that you would show up and that you would make your presence just to say, anything I can do, what can I do for you? To show up. And it is a testimony for churches. It is a testimony for pastors. It is a testimony for church family friends. He spoke about future hopes and truths. In helping Mary and Martha, he wasn't trite, but he gave, talked about the resurrection. In dealing with the man who was dying on the cross, he talked about paradise. There is a fact here dealing with the disciples and saying, I'm going to die. Jesus is going to die this night. You read John 14. He spends a major part of that chapter saying goodbye to his family friends and he ministers about the future. There is nothing trite about talking about the hope of heaven and sharing those facts. Jesus showed emotions, empathy, sympathy towards others, though he was hurting. The problem with most of us, me included, is if we're hurting, who are we concerned about? Ourselves primarily, to the point that we're wondering, why aren't people ministering to me? Legitimate question. But in the middle of our difficulties, Let's take Jesus as an example. While he's having difficulty, what is he doing? Ministering to others. Another thought. Jesus took practical steps to care and provide for his own family members. If you're following the example of Jesus, what are you doing to make provisions for your surviving family members? 
Jesus did, even on the cross. Here's the thought. Jesus did not rebuke or create guilt for past sins. Whom are you referring to here? In this, in this case, on the cross, this thief is there. He's giving this thief hope. He's not saying, well, you are a real bum. He was. Okay, he deserved to be there. But the man already reasons. Okay, Mary and Martha are confused. Their brother has died. They've already explained to Jesus, we think that if you would have been here, you would have done it. Why did you delay? He doesn't really address that by saying, why are you thinking that? He addresses it with giving biblical truth about the future. So he doesn't rail on them. He gives them hope and redirects their thinking. So the whole idea is he's giving hope and help. How about you in ministering to people near you and giving them hope and help? There's a lot of questions that are going to come up now that we want to talk about the next couple of weeks. When do we pull a plug? <sighs> what a terrible thing. What, what happens? If, what, what do we do when they pass away? What is it like while we're doing a death vigil? Let me deal with one real quick here. What about suicides? Do Christians ever struggle with suicide? Yes? Okay, let me give you biblical examples of, of people who struggled with it, okay? Here's three prophets. All three of them wanted to die. Read their accounts. They wanted God to take their life. All of them. So do Christians ever battle depression, discouragement, where they say, I'm done? Yes. And I would dare say that there may be some within this room that you had a moment. It didn't stay long, but you had a moment. I'd be better off dead. And so here's our biblical thoughts. Is suicide right or wrong? In, in historical church thinking, suicide was the unforgivable sin. Have you heard that? That if you commit suicide, you are going to hell. Okay, I, I understand Scripture. Okay, that God says, and we've already talked about, we gave you all those passages at the beginning. God is the one who determines the length of our life. He has the authority to call me home, not me say, I'm going home. So God is in charge. Suicide is trying to super um, subvert. That's the word. Suicide is subverting God's will and timing for your life. Let me give you another thought. Do you lose your salvation? If somebody has taken their life, have they lost their salvation? I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I don't believe that you can ever lose your salvation. Okay? Once saved, always saved. I, I just believe if you're a child of God, he never rejects you. Is suicide a sin? I believe that fully. Is it a selfish act? There's nothing heroic about suicide, folk. It's a selfish act. And suicide, what does it do to people who are left behind? Oh. What is the overriding feeling? Guilt. It is devastating. There is, you know, he has, will not tempt us above that we are able. It's just, suicide is, is calling God a liar. It's just, it's wrong. It's wrong. You can't get away from it. It's wrong. Is it ever right to stop medical assistance to someone who is very ill? Hmm. Now, here, years ago, this wasn't an issue. This was an issue. Why is it an issue today? 
we are living in an age of great medical advancement. Right? And I'm glad we are. Yes? No? Okay. So this past week, Don goes into the hospital. There's an aneurysm behind his heart. They remove a, a, an imminently rupturing aneurysm. They replace a valve in his heart. They do other work on his heart. It was an extremely serious, complicated surgery that was a very invasive in his heart. He's possibly coming home in the next day or so. Okay? And by the way, thank you for your cards, your notes. She stopped by this morning just to relay that. And he's doing great. A few, year, gender, a few decades ago, that was impossible. We are blessed to have the medical advancements we do. But with the blessing comes challenges. Bioethics today are like they never were before. And we understand that. We know that. We know that in our culture there are things happening that never happened before. And we have to say that's right, that's wrong. Abortion is wrong. Period. It's wrong. It doesn't become right when it's within a certain time period. Aborting a baby is wrong. Okay, that's a bioethic. A bioethic of, okay, where we draw the line is it we, we have somebody on, on life support. Is it ethically right to remove them from life support? You know, where is the line in all this? Well, here's a question. When is death? That is, you know, that's going to be debated and it's going to be discussed and, you know, there's questions about maybe, maybe the bigger questions that should be asked at this time or in any case, are these two questions. They go this way. In looking at an individual case, are we prolonging life or are we simply preventing death? That this is a situation where death is imminent. Their body, their systems are shutting down. Are we just preventing the, the natural course? And again, every case is individualistic. Or the other question is, are we pre preventing life by hastening death? By terminating medical treatment too quickly? That is the bioethical questions. Those are, however the proper grammar is. And so when we come to it, we need to have these biblical principles again. Let me rehearse these quickly, and here we go. When it comes to stopping, we have to remember what the Bible teaches about life. Life is in the hand of God. God created it. It's a good thing. With that, all life is valuable. We know as well that God sustains life. Medicine is a tool that he can use. When we talk about death, we've had this discussion already. It's under his control. He has the final say. He has an appointment. The days are numbered. We understand all that, that, that the Lord is sovereignly in control. <clears throat> Excuse me. Third thought, and this is, this is very, very important because our society is, has a change of opinion about this. In our society, it is all about comfort and quality of life. Have you ever heard those terms? Okay. In our society, we elevate quality of life. Wait a minute. If quality of life is the overriding principle, then anybody with a seriously medical handicap or mental Ill inability, are they suspect to be taken out? 
Watch your priorities here. When you are saying quality of life, I want nothing but quality of life. Really? Does God guarantee you quality of life? And by the way, define quality of life. For most of us, quality of life means I can move about. If I can't move about, I don't have quality of life. Therefore, let me die. There's a lot of people that can't move about in God's will. And so you have to think this through about suffering and the Bible. Here's these thoughts again. Suffering is not always bad. It can be beneficial. Not only is it beneficial for the individual, can the family benefit and learn and grow with a loved one having a disability? Yes or no? Okay. Quality of life. We're married. You told us that the baby that we're about to have, the baby may have you know, some, type of, some type of disability. And this, this is going to infringe upon our quality of life as a family. By the way, could a child with a mental disability change your life? Yes. Does it mean it's bad? No. Could it be beneficial? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Think through biblically, not culturally. God is not always about our comfort. Okay? With this in mind, all suffering, God is to be exalted. And we've talked about these. We gave these examples already. So when we're talking about some of this, we make the next step. What about medicines that, that should they be used? Yeah, there's nothing wrong with using some of the devices, using some of those things that are recommended. God can use the medications to provide healing. We understand. We talked about that. So when it comes to this idea of when do we pull the plug, we know it's wrong to take our own life. We know as well that assisting somebody in taking a life could be uh, that that person is healthy and assisting them to shorten their life like Saul will be talking about that in the next weeks in our study. We know that that's wrong. So we need to be careful not to circumvent God's working in and through us during a trial like a serious illness. You've got to be careful. In other words, be cautious, don't be quick, okay, in making these decisions, okay? Be careful when it comes, and I'm going to pick up here next week. Be careful what you put in your living will. I know that they're pretty standard anymore, but be somewhat cautious. Don't, don't just say, okay, if I have, you know, if I don't have the same quality I have here, then take me out. Be cautious with some of this. Does this exactly line up with Scripture, let me, let me stop right there. We have people out there and we need to take care of what's going on here. Um, let's get ready for our worship service.